Well, it is great to see you, and we're going to talk this evening about understanding things correctly. You know, in life, a lot can rest on how you understand things. You go to the doctor, you need to understand what the doctor's instructions are. You need to understand what they're telling you to do and how to do it. I mean, life and death can be uh, in the balance with that. I don't see anybody in here that looks like that they're uh, hadn't been in college or high school in 30 or 40 years, but uh, that's a, a joke. But uh, some of you maybe not. But you got kids that are in school, and your kids are you. You need to you need to understand what the teacher expects of them, what the coaches expect of them. If you have a boss, that's important. Uh, it, it can be the difference in having a job or not having a job. And tonight we're starting a sermon series that we're going to be in on. Uh, Wednesday nights through the 1st of September out of the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. We're going to be in Malachi chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, if you don't, it'll be on the screen. Malachi, is an, to me, it's a very interesting book. It's the, there are 66 books in the Bible. It's the 12th shortest book. A little trivia information. has 55 verses, but it is a powerful book, a book that is intense from the very beginning to the very end. And we're going to look at some stuff tonight that's pretty complex But they're truths that we need to understand correctly. And I think, for the most part, they're really, really good things for us to understand. Here's the first thing that we need to understand. God always has a word for you. Isn't that good? Isn't it it exciting to know that the God of the universe has something he wants you to hear? Isn't that neat? I mean, I think that, now, I mean, I guess many of us have been in church, we had Bibles our whole life, it doesn't matter, you know, whatever. That That ought to ring your bell every time that you think about that. In verse 1, it says, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. The name Malachi means my messenger, my messenger. We don't know much about him. You can't have a lot of bio on someone that you don't know much about. We don't know uh, much about him. He is the last prophet, though, before John the Baptist comes 400 years later. We, we think this is around, and I'm going to give you a lot of dates tonight. They're not precise, and by that I mean there's a 10-year give or take on a lot of these that we're not sure of. But around, this book was probably written around 430 to 420 uh, B.C. before Christ. A little of the background, we're going to be in, uh, ironically, the next two Sunday mornings, we're going to be in Malachi also in a different sermon series. But the Jewish people had returned to Jerusalem. They, they had been, uh, several hundred years earlier, they had been overcome and dominated by the Babylonians, and they had been uh, exported uh, off to Babylonia. And over the last, really, 150 years, in a couple of waves, they had been sent back to Jerusalem. At this time, the temple had been rebuilt. Solomon built a great temple, been destroyed, been rebuilt about 90 years and this is, if you know a little bit about the Bible, Malachi may have been a contemporary with Nehemiah. You know who Nehemiah was, who built the wall. And some, in fact, some scholars say this was written uh, in between Nehemiah's two, two different terms as governor. They're being controlled by the Persians, but they have religious freedom. And it's in this context that begins the oracle 
of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. That word oracle can be translated as burden. In other words, Malachi said, I've got something that's heavy on my heart from God that I want to share with you, that I need to share to the people of Israel. Now, if you're like me and you go, okay, well, that's neat. He's going to share it to Israel. Here's the great thing. It's a word of God for you and me too. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 is a great verse for a thousand reasons. All Scripture, not just the New Testament or not just books or stuff I like, all Scripture is God breathed, and it's profitable. All Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. Every bit of Scripture in Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 this evening is God's Word for you and me. It's a Word that God has for us. Malachi's got an interesting teaching style. We'll see throughout this book. He basically, he speak, it's God speaking to him. Ask him a question. And then he answered, he, he, he kind of answers how they would answer. He, obviously, God knows their mind and heart. In other words, God will say, you're doing wrong. And then, who, me? Yeah, you. And let me tell you how. And he does that throughout this book, but he's pointed and he's powerful. And I love it how he begins, I've got a word that you need to hear. I don't know where you are this evening personally, whether you're up, you're down, you're all around, but you're here, and I'm so happy you are. Maybe you're watching via the Internet, but you know what? God's got a word for you tonight. And, and to think that through your Bible study, through your connection group classes, through sermons week in and week out, that God, the God of the universe, the creator of everything, wants to speak to you ought to ring your bell. It ought to make you excited. Because all he wants to do is help you and make you better. As I reflected on this in the last day or two, I thought about when I was in high school back in the dark ages. I played sports. And you may know a lot about sports. You may not. But I thought about my football coaches. I had good football coaches. And we're getting near football season. And during the season, you had a game on Friday. You had 10 games over the course of the fall. And starting on Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, you'd practice. And as I look back, I had good coaches. And every week, every practice, they were trying to give us a word. They were trying to instruct us. They were trying to help us so we could get victory over the enemy, the bad guys, the West. Monroe's when it came Friday night. And now I look back and I go, you know, even though I love sports and I listened, a lot of times I was tired. I was busy. I was frustrated. I just wanted to get through practice and things that they could impart to me that would help me. I missed it by my own immaturity. Don't miss what God is trying to say to you in your life. Don't miss what he may want to say to you this very evening. Hear God. Open your Bibles day in and day out and know that God has a word for you. You Let me tell you, God wants you to act on that word. But God has a word for you. I heard years ago, and I think this is true, that that if you go, obviously, to your Bible, it's always a word from God. But if you go to a, 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 a class or you come hear a sermon and you have a preacher or a teacher who's prepared, and who's tried to hear what God wants to give to you, they have a word from God for you. What's required of you is to have an open ear and an open heart. In other words, it's not going to matter if Billy Graham or Jesus Christ himself stands up here if your ears aren't open and your heart's not willing to hear what God has to say. God's got a word for you this evening. Is your heart open, your ears open? 
To me, it's wonderfully challenging to know God has a word for me. And to understand that correctly is life-changing. Here's the second thing, and man, I think this is great. God wants you to know this evening you are special and you are loved. How many of you like to hear that? One of my, uh, my primary love language is verbal affirmations. You could tell me every day I'm wonderful, beautiful, and you love me, and I'd never get tired of it. People who that's not their love language, they could care less. Thanks. Appreciate it. Go buy me something. That's my love language. But I want to tell you this evening, I don't, again, I don't know where you are personally, but I know people. And some of you need to hear this and be reminded tonight, you are special and God loves you. Hear that with your ear and with your heart tonight. Things when this was originally given were bad for the Jewish people. They'd been back a hundred plus years. They're under Persian control. Again, they have religious freedom, but they're basically subject to a foreign government. Jerusalem uh, is, is not strong. Again, it's not free. Their financial situation is tough individually, and as a tiny little country they are. The walls may have been restored by Nehemiah by this time, but a lot of the city still laid in ruins. In other words, these people were struggling. And they'd been back a while, and they're wondering, where is God? Why isn't God acting? Why isn't God helping us? Does God love us? And in verse 2 and 3, in the weirdest way possible, that's going to be difficult for me to explain to you tonight, but I'm going to try because it's in the Bible. Listen to how God tells them he loves them. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how do you love us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I've loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated. That's our memory verse for next month. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals or possums or whatever we'd say in Louisiana of the desert. Now, how many of you agree that's an uncomfortable passage? It's very misunderstood. And again, I wish I could just tell you God loves you and you're special. And we'd go to John 3.16 alone tonight and I'd be able to make that work real easy and quick. But this is in the Bible for a reason. And for some reason on my study leave, maybe I had a headache that day. But I felt like God wanted me to share this with you tonight. This is very misunderstood. A lot of bad beliefs have come from a misunderstanding of this verse. In Romans chapter 9, verse 10 through 13, God through Paul says this, Not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, through, though they were not yet born and had not done either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but... Because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve. Now, that's real important right there. The older will serve the younger. Verse 13, Paul had to put this in here. Jesus had to put it in. As it's written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Again, that is, uh, that's tough stuff, and it's very, very misunderstood. If you were here last summer, I did a four or five week series through Romans chapter 9, and I think we tried to confuse you on that or explain it to you. 
See, some people take this passage in Malachi and obviously the sister passage in Romans and they say God has chosen some people for salvation and it's either by act of choice or default. If you're not chosen to be saved, friend, you're chosen to burn forever. You with me? If it's saying here simply that God loves this group and he hates this group and that's simply plainly what it means, that's pretty tough stuff, isn't it? How many of you want to be in the chosen and loved group? (laughs) I've never known a predestination person who felt like they weren't chosen. You follow me? Well, I'm not, I'm going to burn in hell forever. I wasn't chosen, but that's what I believe. Whoa, I would respect that, but, uh, but I've never heard that before. Let me tell you what this is, folks. This is not talking about individual salvation here. This is not talking about heaven and hell here. This is not God loving some and hating others. This is not God condemning some to hell forever and automatically giving some a free ride to heaven forever. That's not what he's talking about. In fact, he's talking about two nations, Jacob representing Israel and Esau representing Edom. Jacob and Esau were twin brothers. Their mom and daddy were Isaac and Rebekah. Esau was born first in the the Jewish culture. The firstborn son gets, I mean, he gets almost all the birthright and privileges. I was the firstborn son. That would have been great. But Esau did some really dumb and sinful things, and he lost his birthright. Jacob took over, basically, and received the, the, the birthright of the firstborn son. But what does it mean here that he was chosen by God? If it's not a salvation, heaven, or hell thing, what what does it mean? Folks, God chose Jacob, who was later renamed Israel, to be the father of the Jewish people. And the Jewish people were not chosen individually to automatically go to heaven because they're Jews. Here's what God chose. God took this little nation, started with Jacob, and then specifically through relatives in his bloodline, to give the law to them. To reveal himself to them. To give the temple to them. Guess what? Jesus Christ was going to come through who? The Dubakites? No, the Jewish people. That's what they were chosen for. They were chosen to be a missionary people for God. And given some special privileges. It's not a heaven and hell thing here. That makes sense to you? Hopefully. What about the hate here? Do you feel the hate? <laughs> Jacob, I loved. Esau, I hated. Romans, it says the same thing. Luke chapter 14, verse 26, it says this. If anyone, this Jesus, comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Don't show that to your teenagers or they're going to say, I can hate you, mom and dad. Jesus told me to, right? Years and years ago, I preached on that passage. And I explained what that meant. The New Testament was written in Greek. And and that word hate there, in Romans, it's the exact same word. It's the same word in Luke. It doesn't mean hate. In our understanding of hate, it means to love less than. Jesus was saying to follow me, you've got to love me more than you do your husband, your wife, your brothers, your kids. Y'all listening? 
We don't do that. you got to love me more than anything else. There's got to be a clear separation in our relationship. And he was saying, listen, I have, I have chosen Jacob. I love him in a different way. He's not saying he hates Esau. I preached that at my first church. A man came up to me after church. He was a good friend of mine to an older man. He wasn't being mean. He goes, preacher, thank you for preaching what the Bible didn't say there. <laughs> but I really did. I didn't argue with him. I just laughed. You see, when it's talking about hate here, it's not talking about literal hate. It's talking about loveless. Let me tell you a little more history, too, about the children of Esau, the Edom people. This was written in Malachi 1,500 years after Jacob and Esau had lived. 1,500 years had passed when this is written, and the people of Edom had been stinkers. They'd been bad, bad folks. It's another 400 years later, 1,900 years after Jacob and Esau lived that the words are penned in, uh, in Romans. There's no doubt God called Jacob and his followers for a special task. It didn't mean he didn't love Esau individually because he did and he had blessed them. But, boy, the people of Esau, the Edom, the relatives were really some bad characters. And now God's saying, I'm, <laughs> I want you to know I'm fed up with them. I want to remind you I love you. How does that apply to you and me tonight? Well, I want to tell you God loves you. John 3.16 says it all. I could have just gone there, but I was trying to give you what the Bible said here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes should not perish. The word so love, that phrase means love a whole bunch. The word world there doesn't mean a globe. It doesn't mean nations. It means a sum total of individuals. In other words, that's saying that God loves you so, so much that you are... There's nobody in the world more special to God than you are. God was trying to communicate that to those Jewish people thousands of years ago. He was trying to say, look, compare how I've worked in your life versus some of these other people. They've blown me off. Some of you have tried to follow me, and I love you. God's trying to say the same thing. Let me tell you this tonight, too. If you're a Christian, there is a special love God has for you. Anybody can become a Christian, I believe that. In fact, the, the children of Esau could have gone in and become a Jew, not by birth, but by religion if they wanted to. And I'm sure throughout the history, some did. But if you're a Christian and I, let me tell you a few things about you. Ephesians 5, 23 says this. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife. Y'all read that with me. No, I'm teasing. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Folks, the, Bi the Bible says as a Christian and as a church, we are part of the body of Christ. We are called the bride of Christ. How many of you, your body is special to you? I, I know you want more hair. You want some of your body cut off and chopped and cropped, and I understand that. <laughs> That's the most affirmation I've gotten in years. Hey, you know what? Whether you realize it or not, your nose is important to you, isn't it? And your ears are important to you. You wish you smelled better and you, you could hear better. But you love your body if you're, you're normal. 
I remember hearing a guy tell me years ago, he said that the, the most precious memory he has of his wife, they've been married 30-something years, is when she walked down that aisle as his bride. That's a picture of, of love, and I think all men would agree with that. See, Jesus says to you and me tonight some pretty unique things. He says, I love the world, and you're part of that world, and I love you so much that I gave my son for you. You're a Christ follower. You will become one tonight. You are, you are a part of my body. You are a part of my bride. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we looked at these a few weeks ago. Verse 5, just a quick, quick summary. For you yourselves, he's talking to the church and the Christians. You're like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Verse 9 really drives it home. He's talking about you tonight, Christian, and talking about us. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellence of him who has called you. Folks, listen to this tonight. Let me tell you how special you are. You're not a Christian. Become one tonight. You become part of the team. You're a Christian. God says you are a priest. You're a part of a holy nation. You're a sacred possession of God. You've been given a task like none other to be a representative of the King of Kings. Man, I, I hope you can understand tonight how much God loves you and how special you are to God. Brennan Manning was a, a minister and an author. I'm not sure if he's dead or, or, or alive now. But he wrote in one of his books a story of a man who lived in Michigan named Edward who went to Ireland on his favorite uncle's 80th birthday. And as they were in Ireland, they went out on a beach one morning, just him and his uncle, and they walked. And he said for about 20 minutes, no one said anything. And then he noticed his uncle was tearing up. And then his 80-year-old uncle began skipping down the beach like a child. So he followed suit. And he finally asked him, he said, Uncle, what... You got a big smile on your face, but you're crying and you're skipping like you've been drinking. And I know you hadn't been drinking. He said, what's going on? He said, I'm just thinking about how fond God is of me. Wow. You know, if you hear nothing else this evening, I hope you'll hear how fond God is of you. See, he was trying to tell those people who were in a bad spot and a bind and things weren't getting a lot easier anytime soon how special they were to him. And I hope you'll buy into that too. Let me give you one last word I believe God has for us. Make sure you stay close to God. Man, God loves you, Christian church. God loves us. But God is not pleased with the Jewish people in a lot of the book of Malachi, if you're familiar with it. And we're going to see that in the days ahead. And he's not pleased with the descendants of Esau. In verse 3, But Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. That word laid waste means to devastate something. In verse 4, If Edom says we have shattered, but we will rebuild. The ruins of the Lord of the host says, They may rebuild, but I will tear it down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Folks, the descendants of Esau, and certainly not all of them as individuals, but apparently through the years, the predominant majority of them 
never got it. They never got it that you need to come to God. You need to get close to God. You need to do right with God. The Jewish people, who they, they're struggling with that too. God finally said 1,400 years later to me, you don't see the, the punishment of God and here's much as the patience of God. Folks, America is 241 years old. We continue at the pace we are on. We will not survive to be a country of 1,400 years. I think this is the patience of God that finally, after 1,400 years, God said enough to the Edomites, and he destroyed them. When was the last time you met someone from Edom? You going, you going on vacation that we're going to Edom? No, you're not. It doesn't exist. Because they wouldn't play God's way, and eventually God wiped them out. A final judgment in the Jewish people. Man, God loved them. God had blessed them. God had blessed Esau and his people too and loved them. And now God's telling these Jewish people, it's coming back to you too. So what about us as a church? What about us as Christians? I mean, God loves us and we're special. Can't we just do what we want? And the, the, the answer to that's absolutely not. And, and the reason some of us are in a mess tonight is that we may know Christ, but we're not where we should be with Christ. We've made a commitment to Him in the past, but we're not close to God. And we're wondering why all these things happen. And we claim promises of God because we're His children in His church. And then things still go upside down. You know, there's an interesting passage in Matthew 16, verse 18. It says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Wow, isn't that awesome? Let me ask you a question. Why are 90% of the churches in America plateaued or dying? Why do 40,000 churches a year in America close? Some of that is they're, just, they're in places where there's not people. I mean, you're not going to grow if you're in a community of 100 with eight churches. That's a typical southern community. And people are moving off. And sometimes they, they die or they don't grow. They shrink. Just That's natural. Sometimes it's not. I'm telling you, in Dallas and Houston, there's huge churches. And right in the middle of them, there's little bitty ones that hadn't grown in years. You see, the gates of hell aren't going to prevail ultimately against the church. And they're not going to prevail against churches that stay in God's will. But churches that get out of God's will, God's hand comes off of them. Folks, this building could be full in a month and empty in a year. And the Jewish people, we're not going to, Jamie, we won't go to it right now, but in, in, in John the Baptist, 400 years later, said, some of you Jewish people are claiming because you're Abraham's descendants, God's going to bless you. He said, God can bring up Abraham's descendant from these rocks. Get a life. You've got to stay close to God. God loves you. You're special. But here's a word from God to us tonight. Get your act together. Live for God with all your heart. Some of us are living off the past. What we've done for God. What we did for God. Where we used to be with God. One of the great things about God is he doesn't live in the past. God wants you and I to be where we need to be today. And to be moving there for the future. What an important and significant thing that is. God's telling you and me this evening. 
you got to do it my way, friend. You need to understand that correctly, that he's the boss and we're not. How many of you have flown this year? Commercial. Let's say commercial, mate. Commercial, okay. When you get on an airplane, do you want your pilot to understand correctly how to fly that plane? I want the lady bringing my orange juice to understand correctly how to get me my orange juice. But I really want that mechanic and that pilot knowing their stuff. Because it's life or death. Understand correctly the things of God is, can be eternal life and eternal death. And I want to just remind you what I've said this evening. God's got a word for you day in and day out. Sometimes it's exciting and thrilling. Sometimes it's convicting. Sometimes it'll move you. Sometimes it's just a reminder. Listen to God's word for you. Never forget how special you are and loved. And never forget this. If you want life to go well, you don't want to just end up in heaven with a lot of bumps and bruises. If you want life to go well, you get close to God and you stay close to God. Where are you on the journey tonight? You're not a Christian. Here's God's word for you. When we give the invitation, you need to come tonight and give your life to Christ. Maybe say, well, I don't want to walk an aisle. I'll be over at this door. Other ministers will be here. Give your life to Jesus tonight. Maybe you'd like to join the church. You can do that after church. Or when we stand, you can come and join us. But if God's leading you to do that, act on it. Christian, where are you on the journey? Are you wandering and doing what you want, wondering why God's not blessing you? He loves you. You're special. Now, you do your part. And you stay as close to him as you can. That's the safest, best place to be. Let's stand.